We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, good afternoon and greetings. Thanks for coming along for the Thursday, January 11th edition of The Ride Home. Oh, I'm Home. psyched up. Why? Because Bill Belichick got fired? <laughs> Boy, that's weird, isn't it? Very weird. Six Super Bowls. I mean, he didn't, he didn't get fired, I guess... I, I don't know. Okay. That's not the language they're using, right. but they weren't interested in moving forward. Right? What? He was let go. He was dismissed. Is it softer? Isn't that crazy? I think so. But you know what? I mean, it's Brady. Brady was the, the, yeah, the mojo. I know, I know, but Brady couldn't have done it without him. No, it was an excellent and combination. And he couldn't have done it without Brady. No, right? So, but you break up the partnership. Yeah. And plus, he should never have said that he wanted to be the GM. Right. He should never have been doing both things. <laughs> well, power. The best corrupts, thing about absolutely. his member, um, remember the draft, was it last year or the year before when, it, when uh, they showed him and his dog? Yeah. Yeah. Little human side of him, right? I mean... I didn't say what you will. Right? He's Sauron in a hoodie. Wait, he what? Sauron in a hoodie. You didn't read Lord of the Rings. No, no. Okay, well, that He's Sauron in a hoodie. Darth Vader. Okay, oh yeah, sure, sure. In a hoodie. He is, very much so. Hey, thanks for being with us, though. We are excited. We got an excellent show for you today. Yeah, his it's cold coming out there. Up into, it is cold. Listery. Last night, mm. man, was I cold. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in the five o'clock hour today, uh, toward better Christian politics. Do you think that's a possibility? <laughs> Please tell me it is. I watched some of the debate last night, and I watched the president, former president on Fox. So, and it's a train wreck. Okay. Anyway, we're going to talk about that in the five o'clock hour. Very excited to have Curtis Chang with us. Um, also, a uh, feature in today's Wall Street Journal: More teens who use marijuana are suffering from psychosis. Yes. This is a story uh-huh. that needs to be told. People don't want to talk about people, it. People, you know, everything about weed is oh, well, it's all natural. Hundred percent. Whatever your uh, whatever is ailing you can somehow be ameliorated by weed, yeah. right? Nobody, as you said, is talking about the other side. Psychosis has been linked to the usage of marijuana, especially the kind of weed that's out there now, yep. not the kind that was out there fifty years ago. It, Weed's different. It sure is. And it's legal and it's everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. For my medical condition or whatnot. Yeah, anyway, we're going to talk about that in the 5 o'clock hour mm-hmm. also. And then, of course, in this hour, uh, the weirdest advice from Vintage Entertaining Guides. All right, good. I like all that. <laughs> Who doesn't want to talk about sure. that? Sure. So, but without further ado, because, uh, you know, we always start the show off with a news source. Kath, please give us the top four at four. For Thursday, January 11th, John, 2024, number one. 
House GOP leadership failed yesterday to pass a rule, which is a procedural vote necessary to start debate on a handful of bills, after 13 Republicans voted with Democrats against this routine measure, Mm. which basically was a signal of the frustration they have with the spending deal that Speaker Mike Johnson recently brokered with Senate Democrats. Johnson signaled yesterday he'd be open to another continuing resolution to fund the government. How many continuing resolutions to fund the government? <laughs> it just goes Seriously, on and In the 14 on years on. we've done the show, how, there have been 600 of those. He, I mean, what in what the world? Like. Anyway, uh, he also said he didn't, quote, intend to have the House consider any further short-term extensions. Well, mm-hmm. That's from today's dispatch. Number two, the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees voted yesterday to recommend holding Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for refusing to testify at a closed-door meeting last month connected to an impeachment inquiry into his father, President Joe. The committee votes, which will advance the full resolution for a House vote, came hours after Hunter made an unannounced trip to the U.S. Capitol to attend the hearing to discuss the matter. That was weird Mm -hmm. to have him sitting there, right? Wasn't that weird? Super weird. The younger Biden who has repeatedly offered to testify in a public setting, reportedly stayed in the hearing room for only 15 minutes. And, of course, that caused quite the stir. Oh, right? People are losing their minds. That's also from today's dispatch. Number three. After more than three months of bitter arguments, courtroom grandstanding, and all sorts of other weird stuff, former President Donald Trump's civil fraud trial is coming to a close in a New York courtroom today. Trump is attending the proceedings. They got underway shortly after 10 a.m. His effort to get permission to deliver some of his own closing arguments was rejected by the judge yesterday when Trump failed to agree to limit what he said to relevant material facts that are in evidence. How's that going? Outside the courtroom, he said, uh, as you know, I want to speak. I want to make the summation. At this moment, the judge is not letting me make the summation because I'll bring up things he doesn't want to hear. That's what he told reporters. New York Attorney General uh, Letitia James seeking $370 million for the state and a lifetime ban for Trump from working in New York real estate. Read more about that at today's CBS News. How about those three stories? I mean, that. Okay. So here's something fun. I got a weird news story, a weird animal story for you. Number four, paleontologists have discovered a new species of dinosaur that could be the closest known relative of the framed T-Rex. And that's your top four. F4. All right. Do you like dinosaur stuff? Yeah, sure. How do you say that word? What? Dinosaur. Yeah. Lex, how do you say that word? Dinosaur. Dinosaur. How do you say it? Dinosaur. Dinosaur? S-A-U-R. What? Where's that from? Everyone in my family picks on me for dinosaur. that. Dinosaur. Why is, why is it dinosaur? Because it's S-A-U-R. It's not S-O-R-E. Dinosaur. I don't know. Right? Different strokes. The jaw of this dinosaur was found in 1983 by civilians boating in the Elephant Butt Reservoir in New Mexico. Um, After boaters alerted the museum to their findings, uh, the museum people who knew what they were doing went out and searched the area, discovered a whole bunch of dinosaur bones. Um, Anyway, so they initially assumed that the jaw was part of the T-Rex. But uh, in the last 20 years, further study has proven that it's a new species and it's going to be dubbed Tyrannosaurus mccray. Dinosaur. McReensis. <laughs> okay. Okay. The jaw of the T Rex McReensis is much more slender than what you'd see in the more robust T Rex, John. <laughs> Thank you for that. The dinosaur 
The dinosaur. Exactly. All right, we'll take a quick break. Come back. Dinosaur. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about moral experience. God in the moral experience. That's straight ahead. We're Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. It's 101.5 Word FM, W-O-R-D. Hey, welcome back. We're happy to welcome to the show Paul K. Moser, who's professor of philosophy at Loyola University in Chicago. Paul's the author of The Divine Goodness of Jesus, Understanding Religious Experience, and The God Relationship. Here today to talk to us, though, about God in moral experience. Paul, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. Paul, can we start with um, a larger question? How do humans decide what to do? How do they decide what's the what's the good decision and the bad decision? Um, yeah, hi, Kathy. Um, thanks for that. I think we have to say that uh, if the question is how do they decide, the answer is in many, many different ways. And I think that leads us to uh, the question of how should we decide? Mm-hmm. Uh, because once we start talking about how should we decide, then we're looking for a correct decision, one that actually agrees with reality in some sense. I see. So then, Paul, is that what you would call the moral conscience? I think that's part of it, if we allow it uh, to work. I think conscience is under our control in the extent that we can shut it down. We can uh, avoid conscience. We can uh, run away from it. But if we give it, uh, shall we say, it's fair hearing, then it can be a real guide, um, because I think that's where God works uh, preeminently today. And uh, that's really my big question in the book, God in Moral Experience. Where actually do we find God? Because people look all over, and I can't find God. Where is God? And so my big question really is, where do we really find God? Hmm. And you and you think that we find God in seeing how other people determine right and wrong? Um, I would go more personally. I would say this. If God is God, then God is worthy of worship. And that means perfectly good. What that means is that God lives in the values that make God perfectly good. Mm. And so those values we know from Galatians 5 are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the very values of God that manifest God's personality. That's where God's moral character is, in the fruit of the Spirit. And so as that fruit is presented to us in our experience, whenever we run into those uh, values, we are confronting God directly as a personal agent who is out to draw us close to God. And these values, they're really active. They work in our lives. They convict us in conscience. They sometimes leave us with some guilt. But they are guiding uh, values for our lives And that's how God guides us toward uh, God himself. So, Paul, are we born into 
a proper or good moral conscience, or is that something that's developed, or is it a combination of the two? I think it is a combination. Uh, I don't believe that um, children come into the world fully corrupt. I've had uh, my own children as firsthand uh, objects to examine, and I think they come into the world um, with, shall we say, the potential to be directed toward God's character. But then there are all of these interfering powers. For example, I suppose I was one that at times contributed something less than good to my children, uh, but somehow they overcame it. And so I think what God does is um, uses the challenges around us to lead us toward God himself. And the Apostle Paul calls that the uh, war between the flesh, that's our selfish tendency against God, and the spirit, that's the spirit who gives us the fruit of the spirit. Our lives, if we give them the right focus, are directed toward that kind of conflict so that we can side with the spirit. Paul says, put your mind on the things of the spirit, because the things of the spirit there are God himself, the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge neglect in theology. We take these fruits of the Spirit as just kind of um, add-ons after um, we've made a decision. They are the very presence of God. And when we start to treat the fruit of the Spirit that way, we become closer to God, more aware of God, more intimate with God, and we see God's power at work in our renewal In other words, in our trying to, and God's trying to, make this fruit incarnate in us. And that's character formation. That's called being transformed in the way Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. That's seeing the face of Christ. These values, these fruits of the Spirit, they are the very mind of Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we have the The mind mind of of Christ. Christ. Right. Boy, that's always been a mysterious passage to me, Paul. Mm-hmm. But we have yeah. the mind. It, it says, but we have the mind of Christ. And I've, al- right. I've always thought, wait, what does that mean? Um, yeah. and, and so your theory is that we have the mind of Christ means that we, have, we, under, we understand his character and we have the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, not only understand it, we share in the very moral character of Christ as the living Son of God. Mm. You and I share in that, as Paul says, when you turn to the Lord, uh, the glory of the Lord, uh, you will see in the face of Christ. And he says, we know this glory um, as we see it in the face of Christ. And so what Paul means is that you and I uh, look to Christ for the moral character that we need, and when we share in it, when we actually receive it and cooperate with it, you and I are living in agreement with the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul would never reduce us to Christ. Christ is the living Son of God. You and I are his disciples, but his disciples are to become Christ-like. And so in Romans 9, what's God about? Conforming you to the image image of of his his son. Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants more than anything, more than our health, more than our wealth, 
uh, more than our fame. He wants us conformed to his son, who is the image of God, according to Romans. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a chicken and egg question then, Mm -hmm. which is that do we... I, we have a friend who says, think right, act right, feel right. So if if we're thinking appropriately and making good, making choices according to the fruits of the spirit, then we will know God better. Or is it the more we know God better, the better and more consistent our moral choices are? Well, that can go both ways. Notice it doesn't have to be a sharp either or. What happens really, because this is uh, good news of grace, is that God moves first. God moves first in our experience to try to draw us near. That's what grace is, moving first with a gift. And it's a gift of life with God through Jesus. Now, when that gift is presented to us, you and I have a choice. I can say, sorry, God, you know, I've got to go to some funerals and weddings and and, you know, Jesus was responded to in this way. I can't come yet. I've got to go do some stuff. And uh, in the end, Jesus was sad about that. But when you and I turn to the Lord, Second Corinthians 3, Paul, everything changes because we are then opening ourselves to the glory of God, to the splendor of God's goodness. And when we do that, it becomes part of us so that we can harmonize with God. We can, uh, shall we say, be in sync with God and then live out that agreement. Now, as we do that, we draw closer to God and we're able to see the power of God at work in our lives. See, this is the key. Until you see the power of God at work in your life, it's all so much talk. It's just theory. I've got this nice theory. Isn't that wonderful? But what... uh, Jesus and Paul were trying to do is bring it into our lives Mm -hmm. so that we see the power of God's character renewal, where I can say, you know, I'm more certain of God than myself because God has made me new. God has given me a new life. I owe that to God's power. It's no self-help program because I can't do this of myself. I can't make myself love my enemies by trying hard, but something happens when you let the power of the Spirit in, when these fruits are allowed to come in, I begin to love even my enemy. And this is unheard of among humans. And so it's truly God at work among us, showing us divine power and letting us base our faith on that. And so this is Paul's key theme. Faith should be based on God's power, particularly the power of love. Romans 5, 5 is the key. Paul says we're not disappointed in our hope or our faith in God. Why? Not because we have a good theory, but because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's one of the most important passages in the New Testament if you want to understand the basis of faith and hope. It's a real power that we experience when we turn to it it's on offer, and when we are willing to cooperate with it. Lives change, peoples change, groups of people change, and then we have something to talk about, and it's called good news. 
recreation. And so, Paul, all of this, of course, is predicated on the thirst for God in our lives and the praying, the reading, the studying, the submission to God in our lives. It is indeed. Those are crucial. But I want to come back to the point that God moved first. Mm -hmm. In other words, what happens is there's a glimmer. God comes initially with a glimmer because God doesn't want to overwhelm us completely. We are works in progress. We need time. We need development for maturation, for the fruit to come to fruition. And so God moves first and then works with us as we are able to receive. And that can take time. I mean, we go back and forth. We have doubts, uh, bad peer influence. But as we conform through prayer, through uh, seeking God's uh, word and will, um, things begin to change. We get a, a deeper relationship, deeper reconciliation. And that power we're talking about becomes something we know we can rely on. Mm. What is God trustworthy for? Making us new in the image of Jesus. He's not trustworthy for giving us the health and wealth we want. Often we don't get it. But he is trustworthy for making us new in the image of his son. And when we make that a priority, we can withstand anything. But the problem is we rarely make it a priority. We have all these other uh, interests and desires that begin to cloud what is God's primary value. Having us conform to this fruit of the Spirit to reflect His beloved Son, who is His perfect image. That's the one thing God puts at the top and invites us to do so. That's Dr. Paul Mosier, professor of philosophy at Loyola University in Chicago. He's the author of The Divine Goodness of Jesus, Understanding Religious Experience, but we've been talking about his newest work called God in Moral Experience. Paul, a real pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Truly it is. Paul Mosier, check out the book God in Moral Experience. So well said. We so need, gorgeous. Yeah, well, we need to take a break. When we come back, we're uh, turning our attention to space. Space Shuttle Endeavor, I guess it's in a new position. The Space Shuttle Endeavor last flew into space in 2005. And since then... Wow, that was almost 20 years ago? Yep. It came back to Earth, of course, successfully. It did survive. And it has been parked at the California Science Center outside of Los Angeles. Now, it has been parked as it landed, you know, wheels on the ground. However, starting next week, they will start to move those people at the um, California Exposition Park. They will move the space shuttle. The massive external fuel tanks, roughly a thousand feet through the park where it is now located, and they will put those tanks upright. And then sometime in the very near future, the shuttle itself will go from wheels on the ground to its vertical position as it looked on the launch pad. So the gigantic. I remember that like it was five years ago. It, it not feels so close. Nearly 20 years ago. Right. 
So there it is, um, the massive fuel tanks and then the two fuel tanks on the side. And then soon the shuttle itself will be in the upright position where it will be locked down and will stay for future generations to see and to know and to learn about the space shuttle program. It seemed like that was such a good idea. Why Why did they decide to end that era? Well, the shuttle... I mean, if you remember correctly, two of them exploded, right? Lives were lost during the shuttle uh, journey. Um, the Challenger. Challenger and... and I'm sorry, I don't One remember. exploded on the launch pad, correct? One My, exploded uh, at, right after Right launch. after, right. That's with uh, Krista McCullough, the right, school teacher. Right, that was Challenger. And then one exploded or disintegrated coming down after the mission mm. when there were tiles that were loose and the heat, it heated up and exploded over Texas. So a, a total of 14 people lost their lives in the shuttle. Now, the shuttle was designed as a reusable spacecraft. When you look back at Apollo and, of course, you know, one-time use only, a lot of money was spent. And so engineers were and like— And that was—it's not like that wasn't dangerous and people didn't lose their lives. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, look what's happened here this week with us trying right. to land on the moon once again, not with human beings, but just with robots, how difficult that is. And the last time we landed on the moon was 1972. And to think about the, the engineering— um, how basic the engineering was. I'm going to put this in air quotes, how basic. Of course, it's, it's massive engineering. But this was pre-computers for the most part. Mm-hmm. So the, the shuttle program was a response to, we're not going to go to the moon anymore, which I think in hindsight, NASA knows, of course, was a mistake. They lost funding. The, the appetite for the public kind of were like, well, we did that. We're over that. Mm-hmm. So let's not continue to do that. And now, of course, everyone, the Chinese, the Russians, the Indians, they're back in and they want to land on the moon and go beyond. We had a 50-year-plus head start. But the shuttle was kind of like plan B. And it did its job. Um, the space station was erected because of the shuttle program. Of course, man's been circulating and revolving around the Earth since that time, which is good. Uh, science has been produced from the space shuttle program. But we need to do more. Why? Because we are called to explore. And the shuttle now will rest at peace in California, and people can see what we used to do as we point towards the moon and Mars and beyond. You think that's what we're supposed to do? Yes. Okay. To explore. Kath, I would say that you are a happy hostess. I try to be. I enjoy hosting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. When you come into your house, you're warm, inviting. There's always something good on the uh, stove. Hopefully. Right? Yeah. Sometimes at this time of year, I'd be wearing Steeler gear. Yeah, right. As you are today. Well, thank you. Right? Uh, I, I follow a website called Eater. E-A-T-E-R. Yeah, I've been on that site. That's, there's fun stuff on that. Very interesting. Now, they have a, an article uh, in the past week here called Rules of Derangement. The 20th century brought dinner parties to the masses along with some truly unhinged entertaining advice. Now, there was a time, of course, in history where dinner parties were only for the upper class. Yeah. The hoi ploy. Well, remember watching the Dick Van Dyke show? Yes. Remember when he, what was Mary Tyler Moore's name? Uh, Laura. Laura. 
so that when the Petries would have people over, Laura would have her, you know, dress on and yep. her heels. And of course, she and Rob would entertain. They were dancing. They'd have a, a comedy. They'd have a, you know, a, a small ensemble yeah. there, you know, piano, bass, drums sort of thing. That was very adult. Watching that as a kid, yeah. you would think, oh, that's what adults do. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had dinner parties yeah. and mom and dad entertained. Now, my parents entertained. And of course, and Ricky, was it Ricky? The son. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Worst child Richie. Actor. Richie. Richie, thank yeah, you. Yeah, he was just always like asleep in his room. Right. He had absolutely, when his parents had dinner parties, he was like. Disappeared. Completely. All, yeah. All sorts of things going on. All right. When my parents entertained, which they did, there was never entertainment. No, there? there was no entertainment. They might have played cards after the yeah. dinner tables were clear. Right. My or dad like put that. music on. Yeah. All right. So here's a few things that uh, people have been uh, thinking about as they entertain. Your napkins needed to be folded in such a way that suggests you hold a high esteem for the napkins themselves. Published in 1888, How to Fold Napkins by Jessup Whitehead remains a comprehensive guide to the most maniacal folded napkins designs. Mm-hmm. The eye must be, quote, fested as well as the palate. Within the book's pages, you can learn how to fold crisp linens into a crown, a bridal civet, or a double horn of plenty, whatever that is. Notably, you will need a lot of starch to make sure most of these feats of napkin architecture happen. And by the time you put that much starch in your napkins, nobody wants to touch that to their face or hands. No, of course not. Um, there is an art. Mean, uh, I like I like a cloth napkin. So do I. And I like it folded well. So do I. But I don't like one that's hard. It needs to be soft. Right. <laughs> Your guests. Here's the next tip. Your guests should neither be too talkative nor too brilliant. Well, how how are you? <laughs> are you supposed to engineer that? Emily Post has long been the authority on all things etiquette. So, of course, she's historically had lots of opinions on how you should be hosting your dinner party. Of paramount importance to Emily Post is the selection of guests that you plan to invite. Nothing is compared to taste in people. Some people have this sense. Others haven't. She writes in her 1934 tome, Etiquette. The first are great hosts and hostesses. The others are the mediocre or the failures. Ouch. She cautions against the great talkers because brilliant men and women who love to talk want hearers, not rivals. As such, yeah, you should seat your very silent friends between those who never shut up. She also suggests that you avoid seating two brilliant people together. If both are voyable or nervous or temperamental, you may create a situation like putting two operatic sopranos in the same part and expecting them to sing together. I actually think that has merit. Of course it does. I actually think that has merit. You know, I have a friend who, if I invite her over to my house, the first thing she asks is, who else is coming? Not that she thinks she won't like the other people, yeah. but she wants to make she she. It's very important to her how the group is crafted, like if it's going to work or not. Well, how you how can you control that? And especially as a guest, you take what comes your way, right? Well, I mean, she's just jumping in. Mm-hmm. She's like, even though I'm a guest, I I need to see whether I want to dip my toe into this. That's interesting. Well, okay, so you have to choose yeah, your guests yeah. carefully, right? You should not. Under any circumstances, overawe your guests. As a dinner party host, the complete party book written by Alexander Van Reisley, the author cautions that one must be very careful to avoid subjecting their guests to too much. 
quote, these misguided entertainers overawe their guests at the very start with the elaborateness of the arrangements and decorations. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. They chill the atmosphere with their officiousness mm-hmm. and fussy directing and scare the daylights of everyone by their too obvious yeah. concerns for the deportment of their guests and the safety of their household furnishings. Basically, what that means is if you're too frou-frou, no one's going to have a good time at your house. Right. Right. And if you're so worried about everything, I guarantee you nobody's ever coming back. Right. So don't put plastic on your furniture? Don't put plastic on your furniture. That's gone away, hasn't it? I think that it was has. a very particular Everybody like, loves 1950s Raymond. thing. Right? Did you watch Everybody Loves Raymond? Oh yeah, it's a great show. Wasn't that a hilarious show? Ray Romano is what? he's a rock star. And who played his dad? Oh Peter um, Peter Boyle. Yes. What a hilarious actor. Frankenstein. He was Frankenstein? In Young Frankenstein. I never saw that. <laughs> Mel Brooks. Really? Oh, <laughs> you've never seen Young no. Frankenstein? No. <laughs> Madeline Kahn? Oh, my gosh. Please, do yourself a it, favor. Really? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Never, ever serve chips. What? Mm-hmm. Yep. Why? The What's author of the 1987 chips? Handbook for Hosts. That was... Ages ago. The the complete guide to successful entertaining at home. It would be unthinkable to serve either crisps or nuts or twiglets. Out, 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 I say. Any host who cannot organize a simple cheese shortbread, some canops. Canapes. Canapes. Freshly pickled olives has his priorities. Seriously, a twist. I mean. I I like a bowl of chips. I think. Chips. Are, I mean, I, you know, I like a cheese board. Yeah. Oh, I love a cheese. You board You know what myself. I did over Christmas for the first time? Hmm. It's not a. It's, it's not like it's difficult. I made a cheese ball, homemade. Oh yeah. It was completely fabulous. Really. I mean, it was incredible. What was it? What was in it? Yeah. Uh, cheddar cheese, cream cheese, toasted pecans. Oh, oh. Cranberries, mustard, garlic. Yeah. Nice cheese ball. Chives, mm-hmm. parsley. It was real. I mean, when I say it was good, I am telling you, Excellent. it was delicious. We were all crazy about it. So maybe you don't need the chips. Maybe I don't need the chips. All right. You better be smiling at the door when your guests arrive. Even unexpected guests deserve the utmost courtesy, or at least that's what Barbara Taylor Bradford argues in her 1969 book, How to Be the Perfect Wife. Oh, my God. Entertaining to please him. Oh, God. Should a bunch of random family members show up at your door, Bradford suggests that's great. Uh, that a great hostess must be able to throw together dinner at a moment's notice. That's and ridiculous. Always with a smile. That's ridiculous. Quote: Whatever the circumstances, you should be smiling at the door Come on. when greeting your unexpected guest. You must make them feel at ease by being pleasant and unruffled. If you are not able to do this, so that will embarrass your husband, a fate worse than death. <laughs> that was 1969. She was out of How step in 69. about that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Man, have times changed? Times have changed. Okay. First of all, how many unexpected guests do you ever have now? Very rarely. I mean, people don't show up like that. Like they used to. People would come over for a visit, right? Yeah. And just show up. You know up. The, the Sebastian Maniscalco routine about... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. People coming over. Right. Right. Or stopping by. Stop. We just thought we'd stop by. We just thought we'd stop by. We were in the neighborhood. I, Seriously, when do you think the last time is somebody did that to you? Oh, I know exactly when. I think oh. I just talked about this a little short while ago. I was yeah, I was living by myself, 
and my mother and my sister showed up to stop by. And I happened to peek out the window because I heard the car pull up, and they saw me peek out the window. And apparently, I made a pained expression. (laughs) (laughs) And they came in the house, and my mother said... Well, John, I see that you've uh, uh, unexpectedly unhappy to see us. I'll never show up at your house like that again. And I was like, no, 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 Mom, please, it's fine. I just was surprised. No, no but she knew it wasn't surprise. It was dismay. Mm-hmm. That's sad. I yes. had a friend who showed up um, maybe a month ago. Yeah. It was 9 o'clock. At night. Uh-huh. And oh, uh, they walked in. And it was interesting because after it happened, first of all, it was totally fun. Um, but after it happened, she texted me and she said, you have to tell me if that was a bad thing to do. And she did said, you, what did you say? I said it was fine because it was fine. No, wait a second. She did it to you. What if she did it to somebody else? I didn't say it was okay for her to do it to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, she might think, though, it's fine to do it to everybody else. Your well, relationship I mean, with her not, might be not, different. She's th- not my child that I'm raising. She's a full-grown adult who can make her own choices. You better choose carefully who you're going to stop course. by quickly. Of course. But she thought that it would be okay. And it was. Yeah. But if it was, you know, somebody else, I'd be like, I what the want heck? somebody showing up at my house at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock? What if I, what if I am an emergency, John? I can't well, show it's an emergency. Your you're different. Like, you know, okay. you're like family. Oh, that's sweet. I mean, what the heck? Thank you so much. But seriously, just someone stopping by at 9 o'clock? I'm ready to shut it down, Kat. Let's go. <laughs> Heck. The Consumer Electronics Show is underway in Las Vegas. Now, this is a big, big show. It's been going on for decades. And it's, it rolls out sort of like the latest and greatest in high tech. And as you might imagine, I mean, it draws people from around the world where they unveil the cool new things that, you know, kind of must have. Yeah. Okay. Well, as part of that, artificial intelligence is going to be on the tip of everyone's tongue at the Consumer Electronics Show. But there's one company that doesn't want it anywhere near its brand. Tropicana, the top-selling orange juice maker, is releasing a limited edition bottle that removes the letters A and I. (laughs) From its name. Really? Yes. So now they're selling, they have bottles, T-R-O-P-C-N, to bring attention to the natural ingredients. It's a cheeky marketing stunt that's aimed at highlighting like the it. fact there is nothing artificial and has never been anything artificial in the brand's orange juice. Uh, so they found an appropriate place to hand out the bottles with the new name in Las Vegas, where it's stationing a truck this week at the event to give away the juice. It's also hiding 100 of these bottles across the United States at grocery stores. Uh, Tropicana often comes with um, creative ways. It has creative ways to promote the 77-year-old brand. Now, consumers' tastes have changed. Mm. Some people look at orange juice as empty calories, sugar. Right. right. I don't I don't drink orange juice. I love orange it's juice. It's delicious. I wish but I could I drink don't, it. But I don't drink it for that reason. Because it's too much sugar. Yeah. What do you think? And but is it, calories. is it uh, an eight ounce glass? I, I looked at this before yeah. we came. An eight ounce glass of uh, Tropicana or orange juice, 110 calories. Okay. But it's natural sugar. Right. Is it not? It's, they don't add any sugar to Tropicana. No. So... It's not like I'm drinking high fructose. Right. 
I love a glass of orange juice. It is delicious, especially if I'm going out for breakfast, which I don't do very often. Yeah. But when I go out for breakfast. Give me a glass of juice. I really like orange juice. Like at the pancake house. (gasps) Wouldn't that be nice? I think the last time we did that, we did that. We did? Yeah. It was after the prayer breakfast right. last year. Remember that? Right. Give me a glass of juice. Yeah. Orange you juice. got an you got one of those enormous omelets, didn't you? I did. Yeah, because they're fabulous. That's a good place, isn't it? Remember, I recommended on the air uh, peach pancakes, which are so good there. And then a whole uh, group of people went to get peach pancakes. I heard about this from a listener. Yeah. And they got there, and they're not in the menu anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So you kind of have to be careful what you recommend. Yeah, I, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how, how do you feel about tomato juice? It's weird. V8? No. No. Listen, it's good. I'm, sh- I, I'm sure it is good. It's weird? Why do you think it's weird? Because a tomato, f- for me, is a savory thing, not a sweet thing. And so I don't want to drink it. Hmm. I, I, really? I, I understand I, it's, it's very healthy. My mother... Loved it. She never had went a day in her life without tomato juice. Really? Uh-huh. wonder how many calories are in a glass of tomato juice. I bet it's less. I would think so. How about but, V8? Because V8 is like a that's, combination. That's like vegetable juice. Right. Right. That's like carrot juice. You hate carrots, don't you? Well, no, I don't hate carrots. I'm not like, oh, hey, look, carrots. I mean, uh, yeah, they're in a recipe, but I'm not going to go out of my way to have a carrot. You're not like going to peel a carrot and eat one. No, no, no. no. Are you? <laughs> yes. Get out of here. All the time. What? Peel a it's carrot? It's one of my favorite vegetables. <laughs> you're you're not going to eat a raw carrot. I mean, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to go searching for it. If it's there and I'm really hungry or something like that, no. A carrot? Really? It's kind of dry <laughs> gag in the mouth. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's mm-hmm. very flavorful. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's, it's like mushy. <laughs> no. Oh, no. okay. You know what you're eating? You're eating. A carrot. <laughs> no. no. The little carrots they're, are terrible. Of course they are. They're, they're absolutely wretched. The big ones aren't much better. No, the big ones are way better. The big ones are a whole different animal. I, I probably have one every day. A carrot a day? Yeah. Because I, I love them so much. Really? Yeah. Do you buy them with the green on the, like, you know, yeah. like the Bugs Bunny carrot? Yeah. Really? Because those are the best kind. I never. Really? I never. <laughs> Funny. How about carrot juice? Don't put like, that like it. In a, why? You love carrots. Why I know. Why would you drink carrot because, juice? Because, again, I don't... That That is... It's gross to me. It's, it's the same thing. It's But it's not the same thing. It's just pulverized. A carrot juice... Carrots shouldn't be juice. Now, see, I would drink a carrot juice. Why? I would, I would just because it makes sense to me. It sounds kind of refreshing. But to eat a carrot, no thank you. <laughs> like, But tomato juice or a V8? Do you like tomato juice? Yes. I'll be happy to, you put down, yeah, give me a glass. Are you going to put like salt and pepper in it? I like pepper. I yeah. like pepper in just about everything. Okay. My my mom always did salt and pepper yeah. in uh-huh. it. And of course, her favorite thing was a Bloody Mary. Oh, don't get you started there. No. I, d- I mean, people are drinking that at breakfast. <laughs> that's Like just, a mimosa. That's so. I don't need alcohol with my gross. eggs. Gross. Seriously. Seriously, that just gags me. Yeah, the a, thought of it. a bit much. The thought of it. I would so, like the celery. So you've never been drunk. No, I never have. I mean, there, is there, there are a few things, believe me, <laughs> and I speak from experience, being drunk in the morning. Oh, I, is I it mean, the worst? Your day is over. Where are you going to go from there? Other than to bed. <laughs> Seriously? 
There are just some things I'm really glad I missed. I mean, what the heck? Oh, let's have a you know some vodka and orange juice, vodka and tomato juice. I don't think so. Oh, yeah, please. All right, we'll take. Uh, uh, wait, Alex, oh, you t- you're making a little face there. Like, what? You're, you're saying I'm wrong here? Are you are you in agreement with me? Yeah. Are you what saying is this, what is this, this is something? Because she, she's you know she's a young buck. No, I just love that you think that a mimosa is vodka and orange juice. Yeah, that's champagne. Oh, sorry, and sorry. Juice. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that would be some kind of mimosa, right, yeah, Lex? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmett. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along for the Thursday, January 11th edition of The Ride Home. Kath, um, I know that um, you are familiar with the Oakland Corridor. Well, yes, I'm well familiar with it. And so, uh, driving through uh, either Forbes Avenue or coming down Fifth it's Avenue. It's a complete... Mess. Man, there is so much. I mean, I appreciate construction and growth, but this is over the top. Yep. Okay, well, our friends at Next Pittsburgh have published something Pittsburgh's major developments to watch in 2024. Okay, so Mercy, right? Mercy Hospital. I was just the, there a couple days ago. Mercy Pavilion in Uptown was yep. a nine story addition. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really, I was in it. Were you looking out over the river? Yes. Oh, how does that look? It's really nice. Excellent. You're right, uh, like you're right on top of the boulevard. Yeah. You look over the Mon. It's really nice. Hmm. I mean, and walking through it, I walked on the um, on the ground floor before I went up the elevator. Yeah. It's beautiful. Excellent. They did a really nice job with it. Okay, so that is completed. Now, UPMC Presbyterian in Oakland is starting a 17-story... It's going to be that tall. 17-story glass tower that will rise 300 feet above Fifth Avenue on the property that once housed uh, Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. How about that? The bulk of the new building will be almost kidney-shaped with a convex curve on the west side facing downtown and two bulging curves that meet in the middle along DeSoto Street Mm. to the east with pointed ends on the north and south. Uh, Groundbreaking was uh, last year. The wall of glass, which UPMC's website says will offset the weight of its 17 stories, will also offer a clear view of what's happening inside the first few floors, making it feel part of the community. The uh, 1.5 billion addition is underway. UPMC is also planning a 50,000 square foot addition to UPMC Children's Hospital for the new Heart Institute. The construction, which would close 45th Street for a year, received planning commission in July. The addition is to cover about half of the hospital's garage on 45th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, how about the um, first National Bank headquarters? Yeah. Now complete. Okay, that's so- pretty. It is pretty. So this is the one that's uh, on the site of the former Civic Arena. Yep. And it, if you're uh, at the stoplight there and you're either going to go uh, onto 279 North or you're going to go to Bigelow and continue on through Oakland or yep. you're going to take a right and go onto Center Avenue back toward Crawford, um, you're looking right at that building. And it looks very nice, but it's going to be, why do we need more office space? 
Yeah. Well, First National Bank says that they're going to occupy most of it, and their employees are expected to be back 26 stories, $220 million, uh, began construction in 2021. It has an extensive punch list. Uh, the bank executives will move into their new headquarters in the area that everybody calls the Lower Hill, but is technically part of the Central Business District. Uh, it's underway. Mm-hmm. In the Middle Hill District, the development of the new Granada Square hit a milestone in August with 40 units of affordable housing. Yeah, I saw that. Open with a special rental preference for artists with connection to the black community. When completed, the development will also have restaurants, office space, and the new Granada Theater. Okay. Okay. That sounds cool as well. In Shadyside, a new parking garage is now standing near the corner of Ellsworth Avenue and Shady Avenue, the site of of Echo Realty's redevelopment of the Shady Hill Plaza. Oh, where the Giant Eagle used to be? Yes, formerly home to the Shakespeare Street Giant Eagle. Echo, which is the real estate side of Giant Eagle, is planning to replace the store, which has been demolished with a 36,000-square-foot store that will open onto Penn Avenue. Hey, how about speaking of um of this development, um, Forbes Avenue in Oakland, it used to be the old, this goes way back, the old A&P. Right. Right across from like where Arby's used yes. to be. Yes, yes. That, that was torn down recently. Have you seen that? Yeah. That's gone. That's gone. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know what that's going to become. I don't, that's uh, My guess is UPMC yeah, or Pitt, Pitt. Pitt and UPMC are going to swallow mm-hmm. up the city. Shady Avenue Presbyterian Church, um, uh, historic church, of course, was demolished. You mean Shady Side? No. What was demolished? Shady Avenue Presbyterian Church. That's over there by... by um, by the Giant Eagle? Yes. Okay. Uh, demolished by Beatrice Icon Development. Uh, historic preservationists tried to save that church. That's a, that was a sad church. I mean, sad that it was torn down because there was a lot of activity around that. Um, the, demol- the demolition of also the new federal cold storage building mm, with the, the Woolies fish, fish image yeah, is now complete. Site preparation is underway there for a 23-story office building. Right. And there's, there's an office building a block away from there yep. that looks completely empty. Exactly. So why do we need another one? I have no idea. But watching them te- tear that cold storage building down yeah. was really something. There was so much, there was much more debris than they ever expected. Really? Because the walls were so, because it was cold storage. Super thick. Right, it was yeah. super, super thick. Yeah. yeah so I, I believe that I read that it, the uh, the deconstruction of it was delayed because they couldn't figure, they needed to come up with a better plan for what to do with all the debris. leftovers. Fascinating. Hazelwood Green is uh, 170 acres, the largest single development site in the city. Uh, Pitt has started construction on BioForge, which is an 82,000-square-foot laboratory building there. Uh, Carnegie Mellon University is also developing a 150,000-square-foot center for robotics and artificial intelligence there. Oh, at Hazelwood Green? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So all over I mean, the city. I mean, I think that that was a, a really great use of that land. I do, too. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's panned so, out to be really nice. Uh, the airport is close to being done, the Pittsburgh International Airport. $1.4 billion terminal, uh, terminal modernization program is building a new 811,000 square foot building to replace what is now the Landside building. Okay, so w- when's that going to be done? Uh, sometime early next year. Early next year, 2025. Oh, so it's a whole year away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if we'd call that close to being done. There's a lot going on. It's amazing. So how about the luxury uh, apartments? You know, you're headed out to the north north side um, Mm -hmm. on on 279. Okay. Uh, Where are the luxury apartments? There's a big sign. It says luxury. Oh, that's that whole building I'm talking about. That's in the strip. What the heck? It's empty. Really? They they uh, they put that building up before COVID, and the I mean I feel there. bad for them now. It's just sitting there. Well, even though I said that I wasn't going to do it, I did tune in to last night's Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley debate. You gave in. Two seconds in, I knew it was a mistake. I just knew it was a mistake. What was it like? Horrible. I mean, nothing was said. Nothing of consequence. All they did was attack each other. Really? Nothing. Uh, no. I mean. So we're so they so it was what we talked about yesterday, where nobody answers a question. No one answered a question. No, it was all you said this, and I've got it on video, and you're wrong, and and, and no, you. you know. And of course, that had happened in the shadow of the uh, of Chris Christie dropping out of the race yep. and being caught in the hot mic saying that you know Nikki can't handle it or she's not gonna. She's going to tank or something like that. She's going to be smoked. Yeah. Right. So then on on Fox, there's former President Trump, and he's like, you know, all nice and cuddly with his supporters. And it's like a, a total. So did you see, watch that too? I did. I switched over. <laughs> I mean, because I'm, I'm ill. I'm just not well. I mean, this is where we are oh my. in politics. And we're going we're gonna to elect a president I know. in a few short months. I just, I, well, we're grateful to have Curtis Chang with us too. I don't know, perhaps set us on... Uh, heal us. Uh, heal us, right. Or set <laughs> us on some kind of reasonable path. Uh, Curtis is um, founding executive director of Redeeming Babel, host of the Good Faith podcast and author of The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self. Curtis, welcome in. I'm so glad to be here. And it sounds like you guys are talking about a very anxious moment in our political life right now. So oh uh, let's get on it. Yes, uh, it is an anxious. I mean, it's not even a moment. I mean, it feels as though we've been doing this for year after year after year, Curtis. And of course, you know this well. It's destroyed marriages, friendships, yeah. dare I say, congregations yep. of what it is yep. to be a Christian invested in politics. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to understand that anxiety is so much part of what's driving things, because what anxiety is, it's a fear of loss. It's a fear of future loss. And I think we've invested too much into thinking that politics can solve our problems, that we think if our side loses, then it's the apocalypse, right? And so because there's so much fear of that loss, we can't tolerate that political loss. That's actually what's driving the anxiety in this particular moment. And a great reason I wrote the book is I wanted to help Christians be able to see that anxiety is not something that they can just make disappear because that's saying that you're making all possibility of loss disappear. Rather, anxiety is something we have to be able to go through. And in in this particular 2024, we are going to have an anxious 2024. You You can't avoid that. It's really a question of how do we go through it and the invitation from Jesus and from Scripture is, if you're willing to go through anxiety, not go away away from it or around it, but go through it, 
It's actually the most profound opportunity for spiritual growth we could have. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. So I can say, you know, from my own personal history that I have experienced that um, and have gone through it and it loses, the anxiety loses its power largely mm-hmm. when you decide to go through it instead of fearing it um, yeah. or running away from it. So I see that, but I, I want to know how you think that would work in a political context. Well, for one thing, uh, we have to be willing to actually have our side lose, whether it is the Democrat or the Republican side. In fact, actually, this is the connection between anxiety and democracy. If you were to ask political theorists, what is the essence of democracy? Like the actual, it's not like elections or this or that or majority rule. The essence of democracy is what's called what political theorists call losers consent. It's that democracy works Mm. when the loser of an election consents to that loss. In other words, they accept the loss. And that's that's the danger here is that, you know, if we think we cannot tolerate any anxiety, it means we're not doing our we're not consenting to loss. We're not consenting Mm -hmm. to the possibility of loss. And that undermines the fundamental pillars of democracy that that both sides need to actually go in thinking, it's going to be awful if I lose. It's going to it's going to be terrible. I don't want to lose, but it's going to be okay. I'm willing to tolerate what, even as hard as it is, I'm willing to tolerate loss. At when we do, if we were able to do that at a social level, that will significantly bring down our anxiety levels. And similarly, at a personal level, if we we believe God is big enough to hold us through our losses, not prevent any loss from happening in our life, but actually hold us through our losses. And that's really the promise of the gospel is that we have a God that loves us so much that he will hold us through loss, through the loss of all losses, right? Which is death itself is that actually there's the promise of resurrection. That's the gospel promise It's resurrection and resurrection is the promise of that if you go through loss, if you, it's not you, you will never die. It's if you will die, if you will lose your life, you will gain it. But Curtis, of course, you know this. This is the problem, right? Because there are many millions of people in this country who believe that Donald Trump did not lose. And so that that's created right. January the 6th, and that created election fraud and all that. And that's the yeah. center of the hurricane which we are now living through. Right. And and so my book, The Anxiety Opportunity, is trying to get underneath the specific politics, which, of course, people are going to get divided on and say, hey, actually, underneath all of that, driving all of that is at a very per- even personal level. Just let's let's step outside of the political realm at a very personal level. Do we believe that it's we can tolerate loss? Do we believe that God is big enough? Even if like, look, if you're a Trump supporter, you wanted him to win. OK. But can you tell, can you believe in a God that's big enough that can hold your fears even if Trump loses? That's the the inability yeah. to hold that possibility, to, to to hold that anxiety. That's the emotional driver of January 6th, the, the insurrection. And so we can talk about the specifics of the politics, but I'm trying to get the spiritual yeah. underpinnings that's driving all of this d- toxic, dysfunctional behavior, Good. which I believe is actually at its emotional core. It's our dysfunctional relationship with anxiety that all Americans, that many Americans have, but evangelicals and Christians, unfortunately, have an especially uh, spiritualized dysfunction (laughs) in terms of their relationship to anxiety. Curtis, that is so good. 
I think that's such an accurate read of what the issue is. And before talking to you, I had never looked at, at it that way before. But I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about my mom. My mom was such a delightful person and so optimistic and she was just a joy she she'd known Jesus for many 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 years um, passed away a couple years ago but I remember when we talk about politics she would bring up you know a current a current political reality and then she would say well that's just frightening and I was yeah. that was always really curious to me because there was nothing in her life that she looked at that way you know, yeah. she was optimistic about her family. She was optimistic about her health. She was optimistic about the car and the house. But when it came to politics, there was this fear. Boogeyman. Yeah. 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 And I never really assigned it to that place until I was listening to you talk over these last few minutes. Yeah. And it shows that we uh, as Americans, but also as Christians, have invested way too much both hope and fear in partisan politics. It's false hope that to think that partisan politics could actually uh, bring this nation back to God and, you know, I put air quotes around that, like, sure. or in some way, or save us from X or Y. Partisan politics can't do that. And also partisan politics can't take away the most important things in your life. It, we, we are investing way too much hope and fear mm. in partisan politics. And that's what's generating all this anxiety. If we just realize that, look, that's what it is. It's partisan politics. It's flawed. It's imperfect. It's deeply messy it is not it is not how god is going to bring the kingdom right. in, into the into the world it is not the kingdom right so i'm not saying don't get involved in politics or that it doesn't matter at all but let's not invest this apocalyptic or you know or uh, messianic uh, you know apocalyptic fear or messianic hope in any particular politician or party whether on the left or the right let's take it off of its uh its its uh stand its its stand as an idol let's 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 take it off of that stand and re put jesus back on the stand and not equate those two things not equate jesus with any political leader or political party on the left or on the right. I'm into that. We're speaking with Curtis Chang. He's the founding executive director of Redeeming Babel, host of the Good Faith podcast and author of The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self. But a, a new initiative, a brand new book and a video series called The After Party Toward Better Christian Politics. Now, Curtis, we're really interested in this because uh, David French is a good friend of ours. He's been, he's been with us many, many times over the years. Russell Moore as well. And now you're here. The three of you have created a video series for small groups or whatnot to engage in this after party talk. Please tell us about this. Yes. So it's going to be a video series sort of if, if for those listeners who are familiar with Alpha, think sure. uh, as a course for evangelism. Right. So think what Alpha did for evangelism. The after party wants to do for politics by right? create some experience that's plug and play that in a small group or uh, or maybe even a large group or, or maybe even an individual. I think it's best in a, with others. But even an individual could go through this course, six sessions that basically reframes politics from this over fearing or over-hoping uh, uh, into partisan politics and brings Jesus back into the center. And we call it the after party because we're trying to get people to go beyond, to go after the partisan. So party in the sense of the Democratic or Republican Party, we want to get we got to get beyond that, right? But the after party also refers to 
where we can place our truest hope on, Mm. which is when Jesus returns to restore all things. That is the kingdom, the arrival of the kingdom on earth, on on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus comes, that's our king. That's our political, Mm. true political ruler, which we can genuinely place hope on. And it's trying to say that's where we should be placing our ultimate hopes, the after party. It's the wedding feast of the lamb in the revelation terms. It's going to be a grand party, a true true a true party a true festival when that happens that's what we should be putting first and all of this partisan stuff uh it's not that it's not unimportant but it's just way way uh way down the way down the list of our priorities mm. way down the list of our hopes and fears and i think if we can recenter on jesus in this way that it's that it's the jesus after party that all christians are meant to put our ultimate hopes and allegiances on then then I think we can we can make some steps to come back towards each other in all of our divided relationships in our families, in our churches, in our communities. Oh, that's good. Boy, I'm really excited about this. Me too. I have to tell you. We're talking to Curtis Chang, founding executive director of Redeeming Babel. He's host of the Good Faith podcast and also author of the book The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self. Um, one last question for you, Curtis, before you leave us. Um, I rem- you, you said earlier that... Um, that politics has taken on like it, a level of inappropriate importance in our lives. It's and, become an idol. Yeah. Let's put it, let's sure, just sure, sure. Right. Okay, yeah. let's, like it's everything. Right. Let's just say yeah. what it is. Right. Um, and so, with, as with any idol, we invest a lot of our security in it. And I remember years ago hearing uh, Thomas Sowell uh, interviewed in a podcast, and he said something that I, I've never forgotten. And it was it was just it was so practical. He said people talk about politics as a good or bad, a win or lose. He said politics is just a series of trade offs. Mm-hmm. And boy, when I heard that, that it's just a series of trade offs, all of a sudden I realized it it's not life and death. That's right? right. And that's, it's that's and, exactly right. And no matter how great of a bill we could develop, how great of a law that would be passed, how great of a person we could elect or whatever. Supreme Court. A Supreme Court. Right. Exactly. How great a Supreme yep. Court um, uh, candidate we, we could place. It's never going to be everything because politics was never go intended to be everything. It was never meant to save us. It was never meant to be our savior. Yes. Right. It was, it's, it's a way we muddle through life and make compromises with each other, with people who we disagree with and have to recognize they hold some legitimate truths as well as, in, you know, that we all have some impartial piece of the puzzle. And it's a messy process to put together a puzzle of how do we live together, given we all don't think the same way. Um, but when it becomes life or death, when it becomes if you win, I lose at a existential level, you know, that I, that is intolerable. Then we've made politics not only an idol, but actually, a, a, as all idols uh, become, it becomes a slave driver. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it pits us into, into two rival camps and says, you fight it out to the death. It's like the Roman emperor in, in saying, I'm going to create a gladiatorial combat and you're going to fight it out to the death. And the, the idol of politics is, is sort of standing above us in gleeful joy as they see us tearing each other apart. Yeah, which is exactly where we are mm-hmm. right now. Yep. So, so, Curtis, the after party, the book and the video series, they're coming soon. Yes. Coming in April. Uh, well, the, the video course is available coming out uh, next week, January 16th. Okay. Go to the after, go to after-party.org, after-party.org, and it's free to anybody, any small group, any really? church. 
Um, it's a it's it's a great. It's produced by a ten time Emmy Award winner. It features David French, Russell Moore, and myself, and and some other voices: Nancy French, Charlie Dates, um, and uh, we love it. We're so excited about it. I mean, it's not going to be a magic bullet that solves everything, but we think we can get the conversation going on the right footing. Okay, Fabulous. check that out. After dot party dot after org. dash after, after dash. I'm sorry, party. you're right. After yeah. dash party dot org. Very nice, okay. Curtis. Thank Thank you so much. Boy, a real pleasure. Appreciate the clarity here. It's a pleasure to talk with you guys. Thank you. Well. Thank you. That's Curtis Chang. Uh, he's the founding executive director of Redeeming Babel. Check out the after party. That's after-party.org. Does this make sense? Yeah, does what make sense? Brats. No. The German sausage. Right. Now, I, I'm, you know, I'm from a Polish background, yeah. so I get a sausage. Polish sausage. I mean, kielbasa. Yeah. I mean, I think that was probably my first solid food. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I get it. Yeah. I'm not anti-sausage. But? It's the weekend of the Steeler playoff game. Yeah. The brats on the roll mm-hmm. with the everything yeah. and the sauce mm-hmm. and the... Keep going. It's, it, it, uh, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It's 100% sense. Who doesn't love a brat on a nice big fresh bun with whatever your topping is you choose? Yes, it's fabulous. It tastes incredible. Give me two, please. Really? Yes. What? Wow, I can't understand that. What? I don't think that makes sense. What are you talking That's about? So what? it's way too what? much. No, it's not. Not in the least. I mean, if you've got some kobasi, like a good pole would have, you're, you've got it. You've got a little bit of it, and you've got a lot of other things. The brat, it's so. It's just Wrong. there's so no. much happening. It's excellent. It's Is excellent. It really? Nirvana. What? It's fabulous. Get out. Get with it, Kath. Come on. I didn't on. know that. What oh, are you putting on there? Whatever. Mustard, chili, sauerkraut, you name it. It's like, like a dog. It's a dog plus. And you're putting that on like some enormous hoagie roll. Yes, you roll. are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then eat it with a delight Sm- right. and the beverage of your choice. And then four or five napkins. Oh, makes perfect sense. I, I don't think it does make sense. Right. It's so much. All right. Speaking of much, does this make sense? Dog or cat treats. Oh, that's a sensitive subject. It's a vi- exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got a pet. All of a sudden, you know, you're feeding them, making right. sure they're healthy, and then you roll out the treats. Mm-hmm. And then it comes, oh, here's a treat for you, here's a treat for you. Am I giving them too much treats? Right. Oh, now all of a sudden they're like hanging out, like, oh, where's my treat? And then the treat becomes the thing. Does that make sense? And you're, no, it doesn't make sense because you're supposed to be the thing. Yeah. You know, the the love that you give to the animal right. is supposed, is the thing they really want, not the treat. No. I come down in the morning, my two cats are hanging out by the kitchen door where the treats are. They don't care about me. They <laughs> care about the treat. Is that right there? Oh, yeah. They get an early morning treat. They're looking at me. Oh, of course. They're looking at me like, let's go, buddy. Bring wow. it up. Me. That's they, a lot like the mimosa we were talking about right, a few minutes careful, back, though. right? There's no vodka for the right. cats. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, again, no vodka in that. Um, Do they make sense? Treats? I think they make sense, but I think we're making too much of it. 
If you follow along with, I would say, the general media tone or messaging about marijuana, it's all positive. Marijuana can help you with your anxiety. It could help you with your uh, medical issues. It could help you with um, physical problems and mental problems. Mm -hmm. It can uh, not hurt you because it's all natural. Um, Have you seen the billboards? I have seen the billboards. Billboards I see, uh, at least in our neck of the woods, compassionate care. Right. Mm -hmm. And so who doesn't want compassionate care? Right. Right. And all of us have suffered, as I said, with a a, a physical or mental malady. Sure. And so uh, anxiety being the runaway affliction of most people in the 21st century, wouldn't we all benefit from some marijuana because it's all natural and it's just going to help us to calm down and feel a little better. Right. And that's how it's being sold. Now, it's not legal yet for recreational use in the state of Pennsylvania. However, but it certainly seems like it is. It's it's touted as a medical cure, right? As a medical aid. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see the billboards and you could sign up to basically, I think anybody over the legal age of 18 can sign up for a medical marijuana card, which would require you to, uh, it seems like it's a pretty low bar, right? Right. You go to a, your doctor or whomever, I believe, and say, I'm feeling a little anxious. Can I get a medical marijuana card? And they sign off on it. And so there it is. I have a friend who works in a school uh, in the Pittsburgh area, and uh, she said that one of her coworkers was a frequent uh, marijuana user, okay? Um, and he one day just didn't show up for work. And uh, they got a uh, an email saying that, you know, Joe Smith is going to be out for a week while he gets his legal marijuana dosage regulated. So he basically had a week off. What? Because he needed to have his marijuana dosage regulated. Like that was communicated from the head of school to the other employees at the school. Really? Like a, like he was undergoing a medical evaluation. Right. Like he was going to go get PT for, you know, when he threw out his back. Wow. Anyway, it all of those things uh, lead me to think that there has to be another side to this story, which is brought out into full force in today's Wall Street Journal with an article entitled, More Teens Who Are Using Marijuana Are Suffering From Psychosis. Now, this is not a new story. Um, this, uh, I first read about this. Um, Alex Berenson wrote a series for the, the uh, Wall Street Journal maybe five or six years ago where he talked about the link between marijuana use and psychosis. Mm-hmm. His wife... I believe uh, he's a writer, but I believe his wife was is a, an attorney, and she had been involved in a series of uh, cases where the perpetrator was high at the time of the crime. And after she had done this for several years and been involved in these cases, she said to her husband, "I think marijuana makes people crazy." Hmm. And he said, that's nuts. Because like I said at the beginning, it's all natural. Yeah, it can't, even, it can't even hurt you. Anyway, so uh, Alex Berenson dug deep into this. And so I read a bunch of the series that he wrote for the Wall Street Journal. So this latest one is by Julie Wernow. Um, and it's basically more stories that contribute to the same idea. Right. So let me tell you one. 
Braxton Clark, John, is in high school, and when he was in high school, he used marijuana to control his emotions. At the age of 17, he was using it daily. When he was 18, he had a psychotic episode. Okay, a psychotic episode after using cannabis and was admitted to a hospital. Mm. He spent the next three years sober, and then one day he tried it again. Before long, he was back in the hospital. Why? Because he said, quote, I had lost my faculties. I wasn't making sense. So now he's age 24. Um, he's been sober for a year. He's doing fine in college with the help of medications. But doctors have diagnosed him with a psychotic disorder brought on by using cannabis. Now, not aggravated by cannabis. He didn't have it until he smoked weed. Okay, now wait a second. So what you're saying, though, is here's a guy who's sober, but he's still on medication. Yes, because the psychotic uh, element. element has stayed with him. Hmm. So it's a permanent change in his brain chemistry really? from using cannabis. The Wall Street Journal says he's among thousands of teenagers and young adults who have developed delusions and paranoia after using cannabis. Legalization efforts have made cannabis more readily available in much of the country, more frequent use of it um, that is many times as potent as common threads were three decades ago That's it. is leading to a lot more of these psychotic episodes. Sure. Okay. So like, you know, in the old days, you know, uh, when it first started coming around in, in quantity, the sixties, the seventies, you know, somebody grew it in a field sure, or in their right. basement or whatnot. Now this is scientifically processed. There's all these different strains, all these different, you know, you can, if you want to feel this way, this is what you should take. I mean, I'm sure if you go to a pot store in, you know, Portland or wherever, there's all these different varieties. So this is a, a science project that produces different, cult, or different results for different attitudes and events that you want to attend. At Boston Children's Hospital, the journal goes on to say, doctors are treating more kids developing psychotic disorders from cannabis use. Nearly a third of adolescents they see for checkups say they're using cannabis. A third of kids? A third of kids. About a third of children using cannabis report experiencing hallucinations or paranoia. Where is this? At Boston Children's Hospital. <sighs> We're not seriously, we are not as a society talking about this. So listen, one young cannabis user, this is Boston Children's Hospital, that's 18 years or younger, thought she was being followed. One young man had nearly crashed his car because he thought demons were chasing him. A teenager with a cannabis use disorder had threatened to kill his mother. Wow. So I didn't know. So this must be legal. Pot must be legal in, in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, right? Which means there's, you know, all these mom and pop stores or, you know, it's big business, right? And right. you just walk you in and just get it. At, or if you can find a doctor to say you, quote unquote, need it. Or a friend Do of a friend. Yeah. Dr. Sharon Levy is the head of addiction medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. This is what she said. This is a lot of my life figuring out what to do with these kids. Wow. Another doctor, an ER physician at Scripps Mercy Hospital in San, San Diego, says this is attacking young brains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's absolutely incredible. Dr. Karen Randall moved to Pueblo, Colorado for a job in an emergency room more than a decade ago because she had worked in Detroit for 18 years. So there was a lot of addiction issues, a lot of gang issues. And she thought, you know what, I need to get out of Detroit. I need to, like, kind of take a soft retirement. Yeah. Like, I don't want to re retire. I'm a physician, but I just want to get out of Detroit. 
She moved to Pueblo, Colorado. She said she bought a ranch where she could ride horses in an area locals now call the Napa Valley of Cannabis. She says, I see more psychotic people here than I ever did in Detroit. Really? We're just making this huge population of people who we can no longer fix. So she's thinking of quitting medicine. I mean, you should. It's one story after another. But it's being sold as this panacea for chill, relax. Everything's going to be cool if you just do this. Right. And again, I keep coming back to the all natural thing. Right. Because, you know, we're talking about the dangers of an ultra processed diet. Yeah. Right. So you, you can't eat ho-hos and crackers and Wonder Bread. Or the billion dollar pharmaceutical business. Right. So so we, so we know let's ultra processed food is bad. We know all the pharmaceuticals are bad. So let's go all natural. And weed is just one of those things because it's just better. Right. It's better than cigarettes. It's better right, than anything right, else. Right, right. We don't know what we're doing, especially to kids. Well, I'm sure it's coming soon and very soon. To the state of Pennsylvania. As we talked about a little earlier in the show, the Consumer Electronics Show is underway in Las Vegas. It is the annual gathering of all things new and exciting in the tech world. And, um, of course, the biggest uh, letters in the world at the tech show are AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, among the scores of gadgets on display at the Computer Electro- uh, Consumer Electronics Show this week are <laughs> AI-powered grills, AI-powered body cameras, AI-driven cat doors, AI race cars, and AI-based livestock solutions. But amongst- AI-based livestock solutions. Yes. That sounds like 1984, doesn't it? But the Wall Street Journal, uh, they have walked the uh, halls of the Consumer Electronics Show, and they are presenting some of their best finds. Oh, okay. How about better this? Than an a- better than an AI cat door? <laughs> well, it all depends yeah. if you love your cat, right? There's something now going to be hitting the market soon, a wearable, a wearable like your, you know, a Fitbit or something, a wearable to predict and prevent nighttime hot flashes. Bring it. Uh-huh. What does that do? Women going through menopause and hot flashes are among the most disruptive San Francisco. I don't think they're disruptive. Women going through menopause experiences and hot flashes are among the most disruptive, period. Okay. San Francisco's startup Amira's Terra System pairs a sensor-laden wristband with a liquid cooling pad placed under your sheets. The wearable detects micro amounts of sweat <laughs> and uses, you guessed it, AI to predict hot flashes. It activates the cooling pad to lower your temperature and ward off night sweats. I think it's the best thing I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've been deriding AI right, for a now while. I, now I think it's genius. Now and you're perfect. on board. Mm hmm. Okay. How about a self-driving off-road rescue robot? Debris and uneven terrain can make it difficult to reach victims during a disaster. Students at Clemson designed an autonomous off-road reconnaissance vehicle that scouts out situations to assist first responders. Okay. I think that's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. Yep. A meat smoker that you can use indoors. 
Smoking meats give the depths of flavor not possible with stovetop or oven cooking. The GE Appliance Countertop GE Profile Smart Indoor Smoker. Indoor Smoker? Let's you hot smoke brisket, pork ribs, salmon, and other meats without having to go outside. It contains filtration technology that contains the smoke within the appliance, converting it into warm air, says its maker. Once your food is in, you can monitor progress through the Smart HQ app. Smoker costs you a thousand bucks. A thousand bucks? What's he? And where are you? You're going to keep it on your counter? I, you got to have a big counter for all these different things that are out there, right? Uh, what else is out there with its AI? Uh, an electric, um, uh, that's not so big of a deal. Um, a home patrolling robot. Okay. LG's AI agent doesn't just beep and bop around. The companion robot patrols your home when you're away, personally greets you when you return. It zips around balancing on two wheeled legs using a camera and AI to recognize people and objects. The bot has sensors to monitor temperature, humidity, and air quality. It's billed as an autonomous mini butler controlling your gadgets and keeping an eye on your pets. Okay, so... The Jetsons have become reality. Yeah. What was the name of the Jetsons housekeeper? Rosie. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? A, a sensor to detect the baby in the back seat. Now, how many times have you read about this? People forget their babies. And the oh. poor baby left in hot cars. Right? Every summer brings tragic stories of kids dying in hot cars because they've been forgotten. Apparently... There's a new sensor, a low-powered child presence detection sensor, uses ultra-wideband radio frequency to detect even the slightest breath or movement coming from the way back. All right. Anything that's going to help save a baby's life. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A pillow for snoozing, not snoring. Tired of your partner's nighttime elbow jabs? The Darucci Anti-Snore Pillow uses sensors to detect your snoring and automatically adjusts your head. Or automatically wakes you the heck up. Plug it into the wall, and when you start to snore, it inflates internal airbags to nudge your noggin into a less noisy position. You know, I am not a snorer. Yeah. As people tell me. The yeah. last two nights, yes. the last two nights uh-huh. I, I in sleeping on the sofa next to my daughter, yeah. I snored, apparently. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm taking her word for it. Well, she loves you. She knows you. Yeah. It's just an age thing. It's not an age thing. It, of course, is. Yes, it is. I didn't think snoring was an age thing. It is. (laughs) I'm telling you. (laughs) And that's just the last word on it. There it is. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group.